within your reach. Second uh, Kings chapter six, verse number one says this: The company of the prophets said to Elisha, "Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to Jordan, where each of us can get a pole." And let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and, it, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. If you think about the visual of this, that would be an amazing thing to see. In verse number one, it says the company of the school of prophets or was really a Bible school. These men who were spending their time with the man of God, Elijah, who would teach them about God, their desire was to be as close to God as they could and to learn as much about Him as they could. They had witnessed miracles of God's power through the life of Elisha and his predecessor, Elijah. In chapter 2, you can read where they had seen Elisha and Elijah cross across the Jordan Jordan River on dry ground when Elijah struck the water and, um, and, and, the, and the water parted and they were watching that very crossing point when Elisha came back by himself on the same dry ground after he had struck the water with the same cloak or the, the mantle so to speak, the outer garment because Elijah would not need it anymore you can read about it yourself where Elijah was taken to heaven on the other side of the river. It's a fascinating story. We also find a similar company of prophets or gathering of prophets in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Um, the, Samuel the prophet had told Saul who he had just anointed to be king. This is what his conversation was in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 5. He said, after that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, lyres, a musical instrument, lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. In this gathering of the prophets, what is really going on? They were playing instruments. They were speaking out the word of God. The Bible calls it prophesying. They were praising him. And Samuel told Saul to get into that atmosphere and the spirit of God would come upon him and he would be used by God and he would be changed into a different person. Those who desire to be close to God, to learn about him 
will be used by Him. And I would submit to you today that if you allow yourself to be in the presence of God, you will be a changed person. You will not be the same. And God will use you. The prophets that we first read about, looking to build a bigger place to learn about God, is just... It's just amazing that they were desiring to do something more than what they were currently doing. There's just something about the people of God coming together to learn more and desiring to go to that next level. Amen. There are people in our, in our culture today that they achieve a certain level and they think, well, I've arrived and I don't have the need to do anything else. Pretty much I have arrived. I have reached that point. And then they just kind of spend the next while coasting and just doing the same things. I mean, if you were going to go to, if you were going to go to a doctor and, and this doctor has been practicing for a long time and you need a procedure done and you ask the doctor, tell me doctor about your education, about your you know, about you going to medical school and all. They says, well, I graduated medical school, you know, decades ago. And, uh, you know, we have to go to these continuing education and stay advanced on medical journals and stuff like that. But he said, but really, to be honest with you, I haven't picked one up in about 10 years. You'd be saying, I think I'll find a second opinion. Because there was something else missing from this doctor's life. And I would say today that something is missing from our lives if we say, uh, you know, there's so much out there, but I just think I'll just hold off and stop right now. In a spiritual context, it's still the same. We must continually grow. We must continually be closer to God because He still wants to use us. He wants us to go to that next level. These prophets were committed to the Lord and they saw their need to expand beyond where they were. They could have stayed and done nothing else, but the future growth could not happen without action and without work. And it was within their reach to do that. I would say today, folks, that the next spiritual level for you is within your reach. Oh, I haven't picked up a Bible in five years. It's time to pick it up now and get to the next level because God has something amazing for you that is absolutely within your reach. Well, what has He got for me? Well, you'll have to get into the Word of God and find out. I can't tell you what it is. Only God can tell you what it is. In 2 Kings 6 and 4, it says as they were cutting down the trees, a man lost a borrowed axe head in the water. Don't you just know that there was a sinking feeling inside of him? How many of you have ever borrowed something and something happened to it when it was in your care? I heard a man say one time, he's like, you know, when he borrowed something, he says, he says, I'll treat it like it's my very own. It's like, no, no, you treat it like it's mine. <laughs> Some would look at this accident as a small setback and a minor thing. It was just an accident. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, it might seem like a minor thing to us, but it was huge to him. To the casual observer, it might seem like a small thing. That was just an accident. But it was huge because the borrowed axe head could then not be returned to its owner, and that's bad. 
And then his contribution to building in this new ministry outreach came to an abrupt halt because he could not continue. He couldn't cut any more wood because he didn't have the tool to do it. Does it ever seem like when you just begin to step out and do something for the Lord that there's some kind of obstacle that gets in the way? Absolutely. It happens on a regular basis. If you're doing something for the kingdom of God and for the Lord, the devil will do everything he can to cause things to happen. Now, I realize that there are some things that the devil doesn't cause. There's some things that we cause. There are things that we do, like we make poor choices or bad decisions. And the Lord will... You know, I'm amazed that God is so gracious and merciful in our stupidity. Because He is. I mean, we can do things that just, at the time, we thought they made sense. And we look back there and we think, what in the world was I thinking? But God in His graciousness and mercy, He still helps us through that. But if we allow that decision that we made or that situation to cripple us, the devil says, oh yeah, you can't do anything else because look what happened the last time. And he wants us to stop all progress, but that's not what the Lord has in mind. While it seems like something that the Lord has called us to do, when it seems that way, almost seems like it's within reach, then a setback happens, or several of them. They seem to come in pairs, or maybe even more than pairs. There's one after another after another. And every time I see a setback happen and I see something that we want to do for the Lord or I want to do for the Lord, I know that God is in this. And there's a setback that happens. I think, man, this must really going to be awesome when it gets done. Because I know that the devil is fighting tooth and nail to try to stop everything that that God wants to do. And it's going to be great when it happens. And it will happen. And what causes the progress to stop is if we just say, you know, the guy could have said, well, I lost the axe head. I guess I'll just go over here and sit down and do nothing. But no, he went to the man of God because he knew that God was with him. And he knew that he could help. Can I tell you today that God can help us? All we have to do is go to him. The enemy of our soul uses anything he can to delay us or stop the work of the Lord. In verse 6, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there, and out came the axe head floating. And one translation says that it swam. The man was then able to reach out and grab it and return to the work of the Lord because it was so important and necessary. It was within his reach. There are things that the Lord has purposed that should be within your reach. The Lord places them there and you must do the reaching because it takes action and it takes effort. It's not going to be delivered on a silver platter. God makes the opportunity available and we're required to take that step, that step of faith, that reaching out to get what He wants us to have and what He desires for us to do. I found a, a couple of stories, and I, I tell you what, I was just blessed beyond measure. I wish I could read the whole thing, but there's an excerpt, and it's quite lengthy. But I want you to hear this. There's a lady. Uh, this appeared in uh, uh, this appeared last April on the AG News website, and it was looking back. They do this commonly. They say this week in history, back on this particular year, and they were looking back on April 18th, 1925. How many of you can remember that? Yeah, I didn't think so. If my grandma was here, well, she probably couldn't remember it either because she was only two at the time. 
But this week in history, there's a lady named Mary Weems Chapman. It's probably the only picture ever because photography wasn't what it is today. I want to read you a story. Whenever veteran missionary Mary Weems Chapman, who lived from 1857 to 1927, felt God's call to return to India, her family told her she was too old. But she persevered and became the first Assemblies of God missionary to South India. A veteran free Methodist missionary before identifying with the Pentecostal movement, Mary was well known in holiness circles for her preaching, teaching, and writing. But she was perhaps best known for her advocacy of ministry to girl prostitutes and the, quote, untouchables, members of India's lowest social caste. Mary and her husband George were pioneer leaders in the Pentecost Bands, a free Methodist missions organization known for promoting both holiness and social ministry. They founded the Free Methodist Work in Monrovia, Liberia in 1889. They returned to America in 1893. George seemingly disappeared from Mary's writings in the 1890s. Whether he died or something else happened is unknown. But she continued in ministry as a single woman. She moved to India in about 1900 where she worked as a Pentecostal at a Pentecostal rescue home that plucked young girls out of prostitution and provided education and spiritual help. Single and aging, in about 1909, she returned to America, but she could not shake the sense that God wanted her to help the suffering girls of India. By 1911, she surfaced in Pentecostal periodicals, writing gut-wrenching articles about the great need to rescue girls in India who had been sold into sexual slavery. Feeling a holy restlessness, Mary decided to return to India. She was approaching 60 years old. Her family tried to dissuade her, telling her she was too old to endure the rigors of missionary work, but her mind was made up, and she told her family this, and this just got me. She said, if young people are not able to go, old people must go. Mary arrived in India in 1915 and established her first missionary base at Dadabapalur near Bangalore. She conducted evangelistic meetings in numerous parts of South India. In 1917, she affiliated with the Assemblies of God and became, became the fellowship's first missionary in South India. Mary's extensive writing and editing skills proved useful in her mission's work. She was concerned by the poor, by the poor discipleship of new converts and by the vast amount of anti-Christian and anti-Pentecostal literature that was causing confusion. To help remedy these problems, in 1925, she co-founded a magazine called Pentecostal Kalam, which means Pentecostal Trumpet in the Mayalayam language. She also wrote over 50 articles and letters published in the Pentecostal Evangel from 1913 to 1927. In one of these letters, published in, eight, in the April 18, 1925 issue of the Pentecostal Evangel, Mary described the plight of the Dalits. She also called the untouchables because of their low social position. She described the joy of the Dalits who accepted Christ and were adopted in, in the family of heaven. She noted that her, her missionary colleagues started a school to educate young converts because Dalits were not permitted to attend school with people from other classes in Indian society. 
After 10 years of ministry under, under the Assemblies of God banner, Mary Weems Chapman died on November 27, 1927. She was 70 years old. Samuel Jabarthnan, Chapman's interpreter for the past eight years, for the last eight years of her life, wrote the following tribute. I found Sister Chapman to be a most devoted and spiritual missionary. She stood not just for the Pentecostal experience, but emphasized the need for a deeper spiritual sanctified life. Sister Chapman was never satisfied with shallow, superficial things, either in a worker, a Christian, or an assembly. She demanded reality and set the example in her own life. Sister Chapman loved to spend much of her time in prayer. She never allowed the duties or responsibilities of her work to interfere with her prayer life. She labored and groaned in deep intercessory prayer for the souls of men to be saved. And as the result, the Lord richly blessed her ministry. The Lord had placed the burden or the call and the ability into Mary Chapman's heart. He literally placed it within her reach for His purpose to win the lost. She could have rested out her remaining years and said, I don't think I want to do anything else because I think I've arrived. But that would simply not do. What God had placed within her reach required her to take action and reach and grab onto the Lord's work regardless of what human reasoning might have been. I want to share a second story with you. This is called Parkinson was taking his ministry and his life, but then God. For nearly a decade, Pastor Robbie Willis, 37, this article was written in 2018. Pastor Robbie Willis, 37, had been, has been dealing with physical struggles that doctors were unable to properly diagnose. Fainting spells, tremors, and extreme weakness after exertion had left doctors perplexed. Being a Pentecostal minister, oftentimes by the end of a sermon at Mulberry, Arkansas, First Assembly of God, he could barely remain standing to pray with people. But God would do something so miraculous in his life that Robbie's skeptical neurosurgeon was, just, was left just shaking his head, unwilling to accept the miraculous, but unable to explain it any other way. However, for a physical miracle to occur, suffering is almost always a prerequisite. People would often comment about what a living couple we were, says Anna May, Robbie's wife of 18 years, because after Robbie preached, I would often go up and put my arm around his waist and he would, and, and he would have an arm around my shoulder as he walked around to pray with people. What most people didn't realize is I had to hold him by his belt, helping to hold him up. The Willises, who have five children ages 7 to 13, include, including two children who they adopted, believe that in their call to ministry while also praying for years for Robbie's healing. But their prayers seemed to go unheeded, as not even doctors could determine what was causing all the symptoms Robbie was experiencing. Finally, in April 2016, a diagnosis a highly qualified neurologist with Sparks Neurology in Fort Smith, Arkansas, diagnosed Robbie with Essential Tremors Disorder, ETD. Medication was prescribed, and for a short time it seemed like the answer had been found, then the bottom fell out. The new medications pre prescribed, if in fact Robbie had ETD, made initial positive changes, but then faded and may have even enhanced some negative issues. Something else was going on, and now multiple symptoms started to point toward something more severe. Robbie's neurologist ordered a DAT scan, 
a relatively new test that is specific to Parkinson's disease. The, the test came back positive. Robbie was informed that he had young onset Parkinson's disease, more specifically autosomal recessive Parkinson's disease. The diagnosis of Parkinson's was not a leap for the doctor by this point, in addition to now having all the classic signs of Parkinson's, such as chronic pain, facial masking, which is losing the ability to change facial expressions on the right side of his face, cognitive issues, tremors, sleep deprivation, and a family history of Parkinson's, the test revealed a clear loss of dopamine in the left side of Robbie's brain. Although many prayer meetings were held, including at the district level, as well as multiple churches coming together to lift Robbie up in prayer, the disease progressed relatively rapidly, and a tremendous battle between faith and fact was well underway. From the moment I realized what disease I had, I believed God would heal me, Robbie says. Nonetheless, that nagging fear would not go away. For Anna Mae, the struggle was between what she believed in and what she saw happening in front of her eyes. The cognitive issues were growing worse, she says about Robbie. They were, there were days where, where we knew God would heal him and days where I didn't know even the days I, know, I knew. He was still sick, still slipping away from me, and it had gotten to the point where he couldn't take care of me anymore. I had to take care of him. Added to Anna Mae's concern for Robbie was another cloud. The family lived in the church parsonage, and she was a stay-at-home mom who homeschooled their children. If Robbie should die, she and her children would be homeless, penniless. What was worse was the feeling of being alone, at times feeling as if God had abandoned her. As months passed, periodically there were some signs of improvement in Robbie's condition as he sought help from multiple sources, but then he would regress. The Parkinson's was advancing, the tremors increased, he struggled to write. His balance was often questionable. His memory and even ability to speak at times failed. There were days when he rep repeatedly lost consciousness and the cogwheels, cogwheeling in the shoulder, a sign of advanced Parkinson, was undeniable. The future looked at best grim. Mary Davis, who turned 72 on Valentine's Day, grew up at Grace Church in Burleson, Texas. Having attended, church, having attended since she was 16, her husband Buster and she own a cabin in Solace, Arkansas. And when they were there, they attended a soundly Pentecostal church led by Pastor Robert Bowen. Pastor Robert and the Davises knew Robbie and Anna Mae well as she had grown up in the church and Robbie cut his preaching teeth at the church. However, the Davises didn't become aware that Robbie had any serious physical problems until they heard in the spring of 2017 that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's. A woman who believes in prayer, Mary joined with countless others praying for Robbie on a regular basis. But then something very peculiar happened. A few days before leaving for their fall stay at the cabin in Solace, Mary had a dream, but not just any dream. I'm a big dreamer, but most don't make much sense, Mary says. But, that, but this was extremely clear. I have never been in Robbie's church, but I dreamed I was there, sitting on the left side about three-fourths of the way back. And Brother Robbie came and stood behind the pulpit. I stood up and said, Brother Robbie, I've come to pray for you. And then I woke up. Mary kept the dream to herself, pondering it. 
It seemed so real and so strong within her that she believed it was from the Lord. She and Buster headed for Arkansas with the dream still on her heart. Finally, about a week before they were to head back to Texas, she spoke to Pastor Robert. I remember she asked about Brother Robbie and how he was doing, and I had to tell her he wasn't doing so good. Parkinson's was taking its toll. Robert recalls, then she said, let me tell you what happened, and then she told me about the dream. Robert agreed that Mary should pray for Robbie, but exactly the way God had shown her in the dream, which ended Mary's thoughts of privately visiting Robbie and Anna at their home and praying. Robert connected with Robbie, sharing about Mary's dream. They decided to allow Mary to follow through on the dream during the next Sunday evening service, which was to be a sing. Sunday, October 29th, arrived. Pastor Robbie was having a very bad day. All kinds of symptoms were firing off, reminding him of how much control Parkinson's now had over, his, over nearly every aspect of his life. That evening, the congregation was larger than normal as family and friends from other churches, not all of who were aware of what Mary was going to do, felt compelled to come. When Pastor Robert told me he thought I should do everything I saw in the dream, my heart began fluttering, Mary said, she admitted, admitting she has never been this public about praying for people. But then I thought, Lord, you're in charge. I'm not. This is your dream, and I'm just an obedient servant. As the sing service began, the presence of the Lord filled the room. Although Mary originally was to be invited to speak toward the end of the service, the presence of God was so palpable that the service was redirected midway and Mary was given the microphone. When Mary asked Robbie to walk to the pulpit, Anna Mae and Steve Shipley, the assistant pastor, had to steady and help him get there. Speaking the words God had given her from the pew, Mary then stood before Robbie, who now sat in a chair per Mary's instruction, and began to earnestly pray. I literally spoke to the disease in him, Mary says. I said it was evil, not of God, had no place in his body, and that it was a foe, and according to the written word of God, no foe can stand in the presence of Jesus. I then commanded the disease to leave his body and never return. As Mary continued to declare the word of God over Robbie, hot tears began rolling down his face. I became more and more aware of the reality that God was healing me, he says. He says. Touching the side of his face, Mary concluded her prayer with, In the name of Jesus, be whole. And then she sank to the floor, praising and thanking God, because she knew that she knew the Holy Spirit had just done something miraculous. As her prayer subsided, Robbie got up from his chair. He could feel strength returning to his body. You could see Robbie begin to come alive. Robert says, things getting better and better. Anna Mae quickly came up to Robbie, so used to offering her assistance, but he told her he was good. He began praying with others who had followed Mary up to the altar and joined their prayer, prayers with hers. But was he healed? The next morning, he only had one remaining symptom which disappeared by day three. He had immediately stopped taking one of his medications which should have caused his Parkinson's symptoms to go wildly out of control. Nothing. With his doctor's permission, he then weaned himself from the other medications. Still no symptoms. 
The moment I realized that God had really healed him, we went to lunch the next day, Anna Mae says. We stopped and ate lunch, and I took a picture of him randomly. Say, cheese. I looked at the picture and then showing, showed it to him. You're smiling, I said. He began to cry. I showed the picture to my 13-year-old, and he started to cry. Dad's smiling, he says. And when asked, the Willis's 11-year-old daughter, Joy, had no memory of a full smile ever being on Robbie's face. But even with his symptoms no longer demonstrating himself, was he really healed? After being off all his medications for nearly three months, Robbie visited his doctor for a thorough neurological exam on January 23rd. It came out normal. The doctor was completely baffled, asking what Robbie had done differently. His answer, prayer. Just prayer? The doctor asked Robbie, mystified. Yes, sir, Robbie responded. Just prayer. And the obedience and faith of a 71-year-old Texas woman who was given a dream by God. The doctor went on to explain multiple times how his original diagnosis could not have possibly been wrong. At times, seemingly tried to convince himself more than the Willises. It just wasn't possible. Only now, was it? As Robbie and Anna Mae left the doctor's office, no longer diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, they made a short video to share the confirmed miracle in Robbie's body, barely able to keep from shouting their, their joy, but just barely. And I have that video here that I want to share with you. It might take it just a moment to boot up. It, it took a moment just a little bit ago. You're going to have to unmute your computer, Ryan. Start that back over. Uh, I think it's FNF9. Okay, thank you. We'll start this over. Hey, y'all. It's Robbie and Anna So, um, I just got out of my appointment with my neurologist slash movements disorders specialist, I guess is his long title. And anyway, um, as y'all know, in on October 7th of 2016, I was diagnosed with neurodegenerative Parkinson's disease. Um, that was following, um, you know, I've been seeing my, my neurologist since April of that year. And uh, anyway, as he explained to me today, he took a great deal of time with that diagnosis and based it on uh, DAT scan imaging, uh, family history, symptoms that presented clinically, some of which he said, you know, I couldn't make happen, some of which clearly were taking place from his vantage point and all of these things. And I have just left one very confused neurologist who is not a Christian, but I think, um, I think maybe someday. And uh, what was, what was, what was he said? There, there's no scientific explanation. Can't explain, this can't explain this scientifically. No that was could. his word. No one could. <laughs> After evaluating me, he said that I had a normal <laughs> neurological evaluation. And uh, he spent a very long time in the room with us and said over and over, he went back through his list of how he diagnosed me multiple times. At one point said, I could, have a se- I could seek a second opinion if I want to and told me where to do that. And then said... But unless you really want to, they may just think you're crazy. 
and they may think I'm crazy. And he looked very baffled. And I asked him at one point, could it be a miracle? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, sure, it could be a miracle, but that doesn't help scientifically. And so he asked multiple times, you know, if I had done anything different, what had changed lifestyle-wise. At one point he said, so just prayer. And he said at one point he said, well, so... I don't know that a placebo. I don't know that a placebo from prayer could really cause this, and so he said. So it's been three months. Yes, Jennifer, you can absolutely share this. He said, I don't. I don't think a placebo from prayer really causes this, and so he said, three months. You had no symptoms, and so these are things he asked before he evaluated me. Then when he did the full neuro exam, he said everything was normal including uh, a couple symptoms that he said only he could observe in the past I would not be able to observe and I could not make them happen or not happen. Anyway, so he was was very distraught and he went through for a while saying that he couldn't, he didn't see how he could have misdiagnosed me and after walking through how that is about three times, he said that his recommendation was to come back in six months and if I was still not having any symptoms, feel free to cancel or to postpone that appointment a little bit longer at that point. So anyway, my wife told me I had to keep my dignity inside Sparks, but now I'm going to tell you I'm struggling not to shout, God is good, he's faithful, he's awesome, he's a good, good father. And so... Glory. That's what I've been wanting to do for a while. So anyway, uh, feel free to share this video. Maybe when I've got my dignity a little bit better, I'll do another one and talk about some specific things. But anyway, today on January 23rd, yeah, that's right. My neurologist says I have no Parkinson's symptoms, none at all. My eval is normal, and he can't explain it scientifically. And another thing he said was, I've never seen anything like this before. I really don't have an explanation. But it's good, and I'm glad. Hallelujah. Later, y'all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I uh, Facebook messaged Robbie yesterday, and he told me that he's been three years symptom-free. So, to the glory of God, amen. Mary wasn't quite as controlled when she heard the confirmation of what she already knew God had accomplished. I shouted out loud, praise the Lord. She said, it is so awesome, so wonderful to be used of the Lord. My deepest desire is for my conduct to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. But what many people don't know is that Robbie wasn't the only one healed that night. At least two others experienced God's touch. In addition to Anna Mae receiving healing from chronic pain, a young woman, Melody, was healed. She had a syndrome which caused her bones in her hands, shoulders, hips, knees, and ankles to dislocate with little provocation. But God touched her body. Now instead of being limited to a wheelchair and forearm crutches, she recently took up bike riding. God used common, ordinary people to bring this all about. Pastor Robert observes, then added with a knowing smile that I told Sister Davis that if she has another dream, even while she's in Texas, tell me about it and I'll come get her and take her wherever she needs to go. 
You see, Pastor Robbie was doing everything he knew to do. He knew that healing was within his reach, but he didn't know how and he didn't know when. Mary Davis was active in her prayer life and certainly willing to be used by God, even if this was something completely out of the ordinary for her. Pastor Robbie's healing was within reach, but God used her obedience and prayer as a catalyst so he could be glorified. The answer was within reach. I want to close with this passage of Scripture from Matthew, Mark chapter 5. You know the story. Matthew, Mark 5.24 says, So Jesus went with him, talking about Jairus, who he was going to Jairus' house to, to pray for his daughter. It says, A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Instead, Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone, had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This was the first time in 12 years that this woman truly had hope within her reach. She had purpose that this moment would not pass her by because she had done everything that she knew to do but there was still a hope named Jesus and her healing was within her reach and she knew it. There's five lessons I think we can learn from these stories. Five lessons. Number one, be committed to the Lord. When you are the kind of person who has a deep desire to be close to the Lord, you will want to learn about Him and from Him. Prayer. The Word, fellowshipping with others who are deeply committed believers. God will speak to you and through you, you will be a different person. Number two, look for opportunities for ministry. Then you can expand beyond where you are now and you can go where He wants you to be. Number three, be willing to take action and work. As a man or woman of God, He has called you because He's called you to be that because it's the difference between faith and presumption. Presumption is, oh, it's going to happen anyway, but faith is, my belief is going to cause it. I am not going to let this opportunity pass me by because God has placed certain things within my reach and I'm going to reach out and grab it. We have been called to take action when we stand before Him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that we will, we will receive what is due us for the things that we have done, good or bad. Make your actions count. How many have ever heard that actions speak louder than words? They do. They absolutely do. People are watching us to see what we're all about and what our relationship with the Lord is all about. 
Number four, obstacles will come. Trust that God will take care of every one of them, no matter how big or how small they seem to be. Number five, don't be discouraged. When the axe head falls off, so to speak, reach out and grab it because God has placed it within your reach. You can do it. He's called you. He's prepared you. And now is the time because He's placed His purpose and His calling in front of you. His calling and His deliverance within your reach. There are a lot of things that motivate people. And I heard a story one time where someone said, if they laid a two-by-six down on the floor, how many of you would walk across that two-by-six? You know, about this wide and, you know, yeah. what, several feet long. Oh, pretty easy thing to do. I mean, just, now what happens if you put it 30 feet up in the air? <laughs> what happens if it's 30 feet in the air and the person that you love a whole lot is on the other side and they're about to perish in a fire? And you're the only one that can get to them in time. What changes? The urgency changes. What you had to do didn't change. But the reason behind it changed. There's not a question. You would do everything in your power to save those that you love. May I tell you. We have people that we love that are going to perish. People that we will encounter that are going to perish. The reason is great. Now God's not asking us to walk across a narrow piece of board to try to get to somebody, but what he's asking us to do is he says, I have placed these things within your reach. You have the ability to do them, and all I ask is that you do them. To live by the word of God, to seek him, to look for opportunities and be used by him. We've heard stories tonight or today of how God used ordinary people and he wants us to be used greatly because time is short his will his purpose in your life is within your reach if you'll just reach out and grab it father I thank you today for your mercy and your goodness lord you have placed these things within our reach lord we may not realize the full picture of what exactly it is that you want us to do but through prayer through communion with you through living in your word Lord and through putting ourselves in an atmosphere of praise like we do when we're with God's people Lord we ask that you will just reveal to us what that is let us be willing to reach out and grab those things that you have placed within our reach We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.